So, good morning. Um, for those who didn't catch my name earlier, I'm Michelle. Um, I'm one of the team at Central Vineyard, um, and I feel like I'm doing a little tour around our sites. I was in Rawns last week um, with the lovely people there, and this week I get to come and be with you. Um, it feels a long time since I've come over here, um, and so it's lovely to see some people that I know and also lots of people that I don't know so well and some that I've never met yet. So it's a joy to be here this morning. So I'm going to give the message this morning. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a passage in Exodus where God reveals himself to Moses. It's a passage that's quoted in scripture over and over again throughout the Old Testament and we see it in the New as well. And it looks at God's name being a description of his character. It's not a label or a title he has been given. It's who he is. And as Old Testament scholar Michael Knowles explains, he says, in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. And so his name is who he is. Let's remind ourselves of that name and read Exodus 34. And so if you have a Bible with you and you want to follow along, we're going to read verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34. The words will appear on the screen. As he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And so over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking this passage, phrase by phrase. And so far, we've looked at the Lord. So the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, our creator God. Compassionate and gracious. A God who feels deeply towards us, who is nurturing and affectionate, as well as a God who reaches out to us in our time of need. He's active in showing his grace. Slow to anger. God is patient, long-suffering. But he does get angry eventually. And so if you've missed any of the series more than a name, I highly recommend you check out the podcast. There's some great teaching and, and some inspiring truth that we've discovered as we've dissected this verse. But today, we're going to look at the final phrase of verse 6, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and that your heart is to reveal yourself to us. And Holy Spirit, as we come to explore the depth of your name this morning, we ask that you would inspire us. You would enlighten us, that you would impart truth, that we would experience who you are. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so these two words, love and faithfulness, are very distinct words. They hold such depth. But when we look at them together, you discover how connected they really are. They could be described as mutually illuminating. They are intimately linked together. There's a completeness in their meaning when they are put as one. They explain each other. But before we look at them together, let's look at them separately. And so first, love. This word has some weight to it. It's important enough that it's mentioned twice in the two verses that we've been looking at. In verse 6, we read he's abounding in love and faithfulness. And then in verse 7, he's maintaining love to thousands. And if an ancient writer wanted to draw people's attention or point something out, he would often repeat a word or a phrase. And so God speaks twice about his love. The word in Hebrew that's used here is hesed. We've heard lots of people that have spoken recently have, have quoted the Hebrew words for, for the words that we see in these verses. And so the, the word for love here, hesed, is found 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's a word that we don't have a literal meaning for. So there's no word for word translation. But if you look at different Bible translations... Bible Gateway is a great one for pulling up all those different translations together. We read that in the NIV, it's translated love. The English Standard Version, steadfast love. The New Living Translation uses unfailing love. And other versions also interpret hesed as goodness, loyal love, or loving kindness. But even if we put all of those translations together, the steadfast, unfailing, loyal love and kindness and goodness of God, they still don't really define the word hesed. Biblical linguistics scholar William D. Montz described the word hesed as one of the richest, most theologically insightful terms in the Old Testament. And so hesed is a complicated, complex word. It's a feeling word, but it also implies action. It's something that we must do from the heart. It's showing kindness to someone and cannot exist outside of a community. And once someone has experienced hesed, there's an obligation to reciprocate, to pass it on to someone else. Meaning that once we've met with the love of God, it is to overflow from us to those around us. A quote from another Hebrew scholar, Daniel Block, says, The Hebrew has said, cannot be translated with one English word. This is a covenant term, wrapping up in itself at the, all the positive attributes of God. But what does it mean when it says covenant. Let's, let's take a look. A covenant 
is an agreement between two people or two groups that involves promises on the part of each other to each other. The Hebrew word for covenant means betweenness, and it emphasizing that there is a relational element that lies at the basis of all covenants, whether they are between humans or divine. A human covenant can be between equals, so say like two brothers, or between a superior and an inferior, so between a boss and an employee maybe. Whereas a divine covenant is always between a superior, God, and an inferior, his people. And the covenant is one of the most important theological truths of the Bible. A covenant, in the biblical sense, implies much more than an agreement. Whereas a contract, you have a definite end date, a covenant is a permanent agreement. It goes on. And so let's look in the Bible where we see God making a covenant. Having made covenants with Adam and Noah, God then makes a covenant promise with Abraham. He's then, at this time, he's called Abraham. And in Genesis 12, he promises to bless Abraham's descendants and to make them his special people. Abraham, in return, was to remain faithful to God and serve as a channel through which God's blessing could flow to the rest of the world. If you think about what I said about Hasad being something that's passed on, we see that there as God makes a covenant with Abraham or Abraham. He then takes it and blesses. And so the practicalities of the covenant, the ritual actually described in Genesis 15. And so there's a way um, in the ancient world that uh, people used to formalize covenants. And I'm going to read from Genesis 15, starting at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, 
for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of, and then he mentions all those people groups that lived there, which I'm not going to say. <laughs> so all biblical covenants were solemnized by the slaying of one or more animals, by the shedding of their blood. We see that as Abraham cuts the animals. For us, the sacrifice was made by Jesus dying on the cross. His promise of eternal life for those who believe was sealed with the shedding of his blood. And now we live under the new covenant where we are justified by God's grace and mercy. The new covenant opens up for us a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. We simply need to accept it. This relational element in a covenant is also seen between God and Abraham. God formalizes the covenant while Abraham is sleeping, showing that he loves him and he wants relationship with him more than Abraham's human effort. That's love, great love. But Hesed is more than just love. It's an unconditional covenant faithfulness. And even if we don't love God, even if we don't play our part in the relationship, God doesn't change. He is still loving. Just look at Adam and Eve. God began all things with a promise. His desire was to live in relationship with them. But Adam and Eve disobeyed. They sinned, taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at the end of Genesis 3, we read that God sent them from the garden. It's easy to think of this as God being harsh and rejecting them. But really, it's an act of love. A couple of years ago, I bought myself a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible for Christmas. Christmas morning, I got up and I downloaded it on my Kindle. So this Bible is really aimed at children between the ages of three and six. I think I was probably 43 at the time. But I love it. It, um, it brings Jesus into all the stories. So if you have children, there's an excuse to buy it. If you don't have children, still get a copy. But it explains God's reaction in Genesis 3 beautifully. It says, God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. This is an act of love, a gesture of overwhelming mercy and compassion on God's part. 
not wanting Adam and Eve to live forever in their broken relationship. He removes them from the garden. And as he does, he covers their nakedness and shame. That's love. Love put into action. And that sounds like Hesed to me. Let's have a look at another time when Hesed is used. For this, we're going to turn to the book of Lamentations. And so if you're following, Lamentations is just to the right of center in the Bible after Jeremiah. Lamentations, as it suggests, is a lament. It has been said to be one of the least read books of the entire Bible, which is not surprising as it consists of five incredibly depressing poems written as the city of Jerusalem was descending into chaos. And perhaps the worst feeling of all is the sense that God had deserted the people, that he had turned his back on them. It's a bit of a discouraging read. It's bleak, dark, heartbreaking. And then in the middle of the five-chapter book of Lamentations, we find chapter three, and the mood changes. The spirits are uplifted, and the people remember who God is. And we read Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so even in the midst of pain and brokenness, even in grief, God shows compassion and is a beacon of hope. And he says, even though you may forsake me, I have not forsaken you. Even though you have broken your covenant with me, I will not break my covenant with you. My hesed is unfailing. My steadfast love never ceases. I am constant in my loving kindness in my goodness towards you. So Hesed is unconditional covenant faithfulness. And that leads to the next word in our phrase today. God is faithful. The Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary describes faithfulness as dependability, loyalty and stability particularly as it describes God in his relationship to human believers. And another Hebrew word for you, faithfulness is emet. So the word emet and all its various derivatives is found over 275 times in the Old Testament. And it means truth, consistent, faithful, reliable, steadfast, and an interesting fact I discovered when preparing this, the word emet 
starts with the first letter and ends with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we have the word up there. Hebrews read in the opposite direction to us. So from right to left, Aleph, Mem, Tav. Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Tav, the last letter. And so God's faithfulness is from beginning to end. I'm not great at learning languages, but that makes me want to discover more of the Hebrew language and the pictures that come from the depth of that. And so Hesed and Emet, love and faithfulness, two separate words that create such vast pictures of who God is. But when we put them together, they work to explain in even even greater measure that God is loving and faithful. And so I've said we see these words throughout the Bible, but we first see them together in Genesis chapter 24. And it says, The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And so this is a story about Abraham in his old age as he's nearing death, wanting to make sure his son Isaac has a wife. And so marriage in ancient times, the father would arrange the marriage. And so Abraham sends out a servant with instructions to go and find a godly wife for Isaac. And the servant finds a beautiful woman who's kind enough to offer him some refreshment. And he's like, she's the one. Goes over and talks to her and says, there's this guy I'd like you to meet. She agrees. Goes and tells her dad that I'm going to marry this guy I've never met. And then by the end of chapter 24, they're married. That's quick. But let's look back at the verse I read. The response of the servant. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. The first mention of the words hesed and emet are in the context of a father finding a bride for his son. It's all about finding, discovering and searching for that which is love. That's the gospel. It's Father God stopping at nothing to find a way to rescue us and bring us to his son. This is God showing love that is far from passive. It's a love that pursues. A love that comes after us. And John Mark Comer in his book, God Has a Name, which this series is based on, says, God's love is his faithfulness. God's faithfulness is his love. And these two words, hesed and emet, love and faithfulness, are about God's loyalty, how he never abandons us. He is faithful to us, whatever the cost. 
And so I, some of you may have heard me share this story before, but I'm just going to share a little testimony about God's love and faithfulness in my life. And so not growing up in a Christian home, I heard about Jesus through some people who came into my school. And at the age of 16, I responded to my need for Jesus. I was convicted. I was aware of my sin, my shame, and I knew I needed a savior. And so I gave my life to Jesus. For me, at that time, there was little understanding of God's love. I understood his power. I knew him to be holy. But relationship seemed hard. And I didn't know how to love. And I didn't really know God loved me. In my mid-twenties, I walked away from God, hurt, broken, not able to trust. And then in my early thirties, desperate for love, but not knowing, really knowing what love was, um, I started to look probably in the wrong places, definitely in the wrong places, um, looking through dating sites for anybody that would just show me any sort of attention or affection not really caring whether that was good or bad. And one night, the 30th of June, 2007, as I sat at my computer in my lounge, I started a conversation with another guy on the dating site. Slightly random conversation. We started talking about church. Um, Don't know how that came up. Um, And then he told me how much Jesus loved me. And as I sat there at my computer desk, didn't have a laptop back then, um, (laughs) with tears streaming down my face, I met the love of God, a love I had never known. And now I'm growing in that love. At that time, I would said that I wasn't necessarily looking for Jesus. It wasn't that I was searching for God in any way, Um, probably the opposite. I was running away from him, but he came and found me. His love for me and his faithfulness towards me pursued me and found me in my brokenness on a dating site looking for love. John Mark Comer says, God is more concerned with our long-term character than our short-term happiness. It's a big statement, like kind of coming back to God in my brokenness, knowing that he wanted to change me. He goes on to say, you can't microwave character. It's more like a tree that you grow slowly, one season after another. There are summer-like seasons where you can pluck joy off the limbs, where your life is dripping with growth and abundance. And there are winter-like seasons where life feels slow and empty. The best trees are the ones that stay rooted and just keep at it. And as with character being something that is formed in us over time, I think God's love is something we become more aware of the more we get to know him, the more we spend time with Jesus. We need to make time 
to be with him. We need to learn to just be. Stop doing, stop striving for perfection, acceptance, for recognition, and just be. Dr. Larry Crabb, a Christian counselor and author, says, understanding the love of God does not require a classroom lecture, but a long bath. (laughs) So yeah, understanding the love of God does not require a classroom lecture, but a long bath. We may understand a little of his love and faithfulness with our minds, but to grasp it fully, we need to soak in it. We need to allow Holy Spirit to bring to the surface and wash away that which would hinder us from receiving the love of God. We need to allow Father God to speak to us the words that he spoke to Jesus. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. Words of love, affirmation, acceptance, life-changing words that change the way we see ourselves and the way we see and respond to others. If we don't know we are loved, how can we show love? I know Father God wants, to, wants us to know his love and faithfulness. He wants to reveal himself in this way. And so if you're able, if you'd like to stand...